0: Revelation chapter 2. We want our church to be a place for revival. We want strangers to fall unto us. Like you can read about in 2 Chronicles 15 and 30. We want those that hear, see, listen to sermons, read the website, and get a glimpse of what is here to be encouraged in it. And if they don't have anywhere else to go, to fall to us. But more than that, we want ourselves, with the struggles that we have every day in the world, to be able to come here when we have assemblies and be lifted up in the Lord. That's what I mean by trait number 12 of higher ground. We want our church to be a ready, constant place for revival of our hearts that tend to slip away. We're prone to wander, as we just sang in that hymn, Come Thou Fount. Everything around you and in you lulls you to the spiritual sleep of death. We need to be delivered from it. And it's the purpose of the church to help us to do that. That's why we're taught in Hebrews chapter 3 to exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of us be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin and depart from the living God. Every one of you And I, though we may be saying to ourselves, I never would, are all able to depart from the living God if God withdraws His sustaining help around and over you. The devil, the world, and your flesh cannot have you passionate about Jesus Christ. So they will do all they can. That is you in conspiracy with the world and the devil to ruin you between Sundays. So we come back into the house of the Lord and we want this place to lift us up. If your glorified king were to appear to you right now, you would hate any of your spiritual sleepiness. If you were taken to Calvary's hill and Calvary's tree right now, you would hate your lethargy. But by faith, we should see them from the Word of God and by His Spirit. We cannot and must not allow carnal Christians comfort, joy, or acceptance in this church. We want them to be uncomfortable so they can find another church. Because most other churches are made up primarily of carnal church members. And if they want to live carnally, then they can go there. But we want a place for revival so that before they leave or before we have to help them leave, they can be revived. They can be quickened. They can be saved. And so for each of us, there's hardly any subject less liked by most churches than this one of higher ground that when we come in here, we don't want to rest as our goal. We want to be revived as our goal. We want to be uncomfortable because we want to be convicted. We don't want to hear smooth things. We want to hear convicting and condemning things about sin in our lives. Brothers and sisters, we all default to lethargy, slothfulness, forgetfulness, distraction, routine, and ruts without the grace of God reviving us. All believers often need personal revival and restoration to full love And obedience. We want our church to always be that. Revelation chapter 2, the Lord Jesus Christ in the red writing commends the church at Ephesus first in the first number of verses. And he lists nine good things about this church beginning in verse 2 I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience. And how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. That is a good church. They hate those and cannot bear them that are evil. And they try false apostles and prove them to be frauds, along with the labor and the patience, and not feigning their works, and so forth. Nine commendations. But verse 4 says, Nevertheless, in spite of all that praise and commendation, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. And here's revival. Revival. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, that is self-examination, and repent, that is confessing and turning away from your sins, foolishness, and love of the world, and do the first works. That's going back and doing the things that you did when you were the closest to the Lord and on fire for Him the most. You go back and do them again. Because it's in the doing that you get the feelings. You don't wait for the feelings to do. You do and get the feelings. It doesn't matter whether it's an earthly marriage between two people or whether it's our relationship with the Lord. We'll get the feelings by doing what we ought to do. This is revival right there. And it was needed even by a church that Paul started just a few years later that could be commended for many things, but they needed to be revived. They needed to have their passion restarted. They needed to come back to life, as it were. They needed to awake out of sleep, as it is described in Ephesians 5.14. Or else. Or else, Ichabod. Or else, I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. How can we save this church? It does not matter that we keep the address, the website, the name, and the basic church membership if the candlestick's not here. So how do we keep the candlestick? By having a place that where we come every Sunday, we are revived. While you are responsible personally, and I'm responsible personally, to keep ourselves revived during the week, God has ordained that two are better than one and a threefold cord is not quickly broken and we can encourage each other and keep each other lifted up in the Lord by coming into this place. If we neglect this, we will hardly know. Maybe only a few spiritual members would know that the candlestick is gone. We don't wait for the candlestick to be gone. We may not know when it's gone. So we want to Have a safeguard and precautionary measures in place to keep that from happening by making this a place of revival. Reviving first love is a crucial duty, as you can see right here in this passage. So we must remember, repent, and do the first works in the same way marital romance and patience and and passion are restored. Look at Matthew 24. And this is true of our world right now, and our nation, and our city and area. Matthew chapter 24, the Lord Jesus Christ warned about what it would be like leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 12, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. We are in a time like that, where iniquity abounds, even on the parts and lives of those that call themselves Christians, and it causes our love to wax cold. Well, they're Christians, they're Christians, and no one really cares about holiness and repentance like we want to care. So we want this church to be a place where we come, we are reminded that iniquity is abounding, and that our love cannot, must not, Wax cold. And when it does, we need to repent of it and beg God for a restoration of first love in the process that we already had. So let's be reminded of it. Remember from whence thou art fallen. Remember what it was like when you were the closest to the Lord. It's no one else's fault but yours that you are not like that now. Remember from whence thou art fallen. Remember what it was once like when you were very close to the Lord. Repent for it not being like that right now and do the first works. Get back in there and pray and sing and meditate and worship and share and be excited and read God's Word like you once did. That's the Lord's order for us to get first love back. And we want a church that promotes that prosperity, which we face an overload of, prosperity rather than persecution, seduces our souls to earthly things. It's here as well. So, we have everything against us. That the Bible describes against spiritual, holy living, it's against us. We want this church to be a place where we can come, not just for a refuge of rest, but more important than that, a place for revival that we will be lifted up in the things of the Lord and go from this place renewed and committed, exhorted and charged to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. A church should be a place for revival. When we use the word revive, we mean to return or come back to life. You're dead, you come back to life, you're revived. To regain vital activity, the activity of life after being dead, to live again, to resume courage or strength, to recover from discouragement or depression. That's what it means to be revived, to be lifted up again in the things of the Lord, to be excited about them, to be recommitted to them, to turn on foolish ways of the world, and to repent, to turn more closely, passionately, and fervently to Him. There are examples in the Bible of using the word revive for people recovering from physical death. You know, Elijah laid himself on a young lad and he revived. He was dead. And and a a soldier, I believe a Syrian, was cast into a grave and fell upon the bones of Elisha. And it says, he revived. He came back to life. And so when we sing, revive us again, are there times that you talk to yourself like this? Saul, why are you dead? Why do you feel dead? Lord, revive us again. Bring us back from that feeling of deadness toward the things of the Lord. Your flesh hates Jesus Christ. Period. Your flesh hates the Word of God. Period. Your flesh hates anything that the Bible wants you to do. Period. Always. Powerfully. It's built into you. You have a default to that. The world is constantly enticing us to do things contrary to God's word. It constantly sets before us in various ways, and I'm not referring to the program, the lifestyles of the rich and famous. It's constantly, and the devil is throwing darts of doubt at us. As one brother wanted me to say the next time I mentioned darts, yard jarts. You know, instead of me doing this in the pulpit, he wanted me to get back here, and fling a yard jarred at you. Because when the devil hits us with something, think of the combination where we already default to a blase attitude toward the things of the Lord. And the world is constantly in that direction. And the devil is able to get us at a close personal level and send fiery doubts and darts against us. So we need this church to revive. Jesus and his gospel are too important and life is too short to be comfortably content. Jesus examines all his churches to compare them to first love and in Revelation chapter 3 to measure them as whether they are hot, cold, or lukewarm. He hates a lukewarm church. Therefore, for us to avoid being lukewarm, we need a church that when we go to it, we get revived and pushed back over toward being hot. Jesus said he would rather have us hot or cold, but not lukewarm. So how do we get saved from being lukewarm, which Jesus hates most of all? A church that when we assemble, there are efforts made and plans are in place to revive us and things that you can do to help the church be a place for revival. Rather than mannequins in pews, we want to be mighty men of valor with passion for the things of the Lord. Now the sanctuary has been effective in the past, and it should be effective for us. Look at Psalm 73 with me and see what happened to Asaph when he went into the sanctuary we have more to offer in the sanctuary than Asaph had. Asaph said about himself in verse 2, But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish. And he goes on to describe him looking at the wicked and discouraging him about being a Christian, if you'll allow me to cover both testaments that way. But notice what it tells us in verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. We want, and brethren, I have said, and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe this. We are a place for revival. But can we make it better? Everything I've brought to you, I hope the Lord has already led us to believe and practice quite a bit. But every point, every trait, can we do it better? Because if the Apostle Paul were to address us, he would press us to abound in these things more and more. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. He went to church. And what happened to him at church? Then understood I their end. A man got up, that I otherwise wouldn't want to be a friend of and preached God's word to me. And I realized that there is going to be a great reversal of fortunes coming very soon. And so all of a sudden he's condemned by what he heard. And this is Asaph speaking after being to church in verse 18. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awaketh. So, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. And afterward, receive me to glory. He had forgot all those things. They're not going to be in the Greenville News. They're not going to be at Greenville Online. They're not going to be in the New York Times. They're not going to be in Sports Illustrated. They're not going to be on ESPN Sports Center. They're not going to be anywhere. You're not going to go to work and be reminded tomorrow. But we come into the house of the Lord. There's a great reversal of fortune coming. And let's live for Him. And you know we slip. Then we come back into the house of the Lord on Wednesday night. Then we slip. We come back into the house of the Lord. You know, by God's grace and by God's strength and by God blessing us to keep all of these traits, hopefully we will not slip as much between assemblies. But when we come in here, we want everything designed for the glory of God and for the revival of saints and conversion of sinners. Look at twenty-seven, four of Psalms. Psalm 27:4. one thing have I desired of the Lord that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. We want to come into the house of the Lord to behold his beauty and for it to keep our priorities correct that the Lord is the most important thing in our lives. And so we come to church. Look at Psalm 63. David knew that. And Esaph knew about the power of the sanctuary. Psalm 63, verse 1. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Do you ever feel dry? Do you ever feel thirsty? Do you tell the Lord, Lord, I don't know what's happening, but I do love you. And I want to love you more than anything. But I feel so dry, weak, carnal, cold, worldly, dead, asleep. Revive me. O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. Verse 2, to see thy power and thy glory. So as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Amen. What do we see in the sanctuary? The power and the glory of God in the face and person and works of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we come in here to hear those things. And a born again child of God with the spirit that is prepared, that has humbled themselves, that has examined themselves, confessed their sins. They come in here and hear a song about the Lord Jesus Christ. They hear a psalm. They hear a sermon. They hear conversation. They are revived in the sanctuary about the glory and power of God. Look at Psalm 68. I'm just giving you verses to show that a church should be a place for revival. Somebody might say, yes, but you're using the Old Testament. Correct. I hope you've read Paul's epistles. As it is written, as it is written, as it is written, as it is written. Of course, they don't disagree with each other. It's just a different form of worship. But the church where we go together should have the same effect. It should revive us. Psalm 68, verse 24. They have seen thy goings, O God, even the goings of my God, my King, in the sanctuary. We want to see the goings of God when we come in here. We want to see God. We want a vision of Him. We want a vision of His works, His greatness, His glory, His power, His deliverance, so we can have hope and be revived when we leave the place you know it says in luke chapter 5 and verse 17 about the lord jesus christ that the power of god was present to heal amen it's a very precious ver- look at it i want you to see it it's going to cost me a minute it's going to cost you a minute but it'll be worth it luke chapter 5 and verse 17 luke 5:17 And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed, verse 16. Now verse 17, Luke 5, And it came to pass on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And then it goes on to describe some of that healing. You know what, when we come in here, I want the power of God present to revive us. What is that power? It's the power of the Holy Spirit, unfettered, because we've confessed our sins, we've examined ourselves, we've prayed for His blessing, we've prayed for the spirit of revival before we even get here. We get in this back room, us men, we men, and we pray for the spirit of revival to revive us and to keep us in our, in our first love, to convict us and to bring us to repentance that it would not be said of us like it was of Ephesus. The assumptions of faith. The assumptions of faith. There is a God as the Bible declares and I want to live for Him. There is no God and I'm going to live for myself. There is a God like the Bible describes, but I'm going to live for myself. That is hot, cold, and lukewarm. That is the Israelites under the ministry of Elijah halting between two opinions. When we come into this place, we should be pressed with the decision. If the Lord be God, serve Him. If Baal is God, serve Him. For those of you that like the world more than you like Jesus Christ, go serve it. We will not miss you because you don't do anything for us. This past week, I heard Ian Paisley describing himself as a minister six months after he was ordained. He was called to be the pastor of a church in Northern Ireland that had 60 members. After six months of him, they had 30. And he said, I wouldn't recommend this to any young pastors, but I got up in the pulpit and I was mad. I said, open all the windows and count them to me. So they opened all the windows and he counted all the windows. Open all the doors! And count them to me. We had 60. We've got 30. Anyone else want to leave? I've made it easier for you. We've said similar things at times because we want revival and we don't want deadbeats. We don't want Akins in the camp. We want the power of revival among us, waiting for us. We want the three assumptions of faith pressed on us. Every every one of us is going to make a choice right now, and we're going to make a choice the rest of this day. Are we living for the Lord? Are we living for ourselves? Or are we lukewarm Christians in the middle that Jesus Christ hates the most? So we want to come in here and be revived. Or you should go find another church that doesn't care. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, and I do like this passage on this subject. 1 Corinthians 14. The, The content of our assemblies needs to be wisely chosen for goals of revival and conversion. There is a reason or a method for the madness of what takes place in this church most of the time by the grace of God. First Corinthians 14, Paul is warning that church that they shouldn't speak in tongues publicly because tongues were given as a gift for unbelievers and a church is an assembly of believers for the most part. And so the emphasis and content should be on preaching or prophesying as it's called here. And I don't want to read too many verses to get you distracted. But look at verse 21, listening to what I just described about this passage. Paul is telling the Corinthians who loved tongues. And everybody had to speak in tongues at their assemblies. He says, in the law it is written. Notice, he's always appealing to the Old Testament. And then explaining it. With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. And yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Paul explains. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying, or preaching, serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. See, those gifts are given for two different purposes and two different audiences. If, therefore, the whole church become together into one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned, that are babes, or unbelievers, not even converted, will they not say that you're mad? But if all prophesy... What if we put tongues aside and everyone that had the gift of prophecy got up and preached, but if all those that had the proper gift, and you know there weren't that many prophets given, but if all the prophets were to prophesy and there come in one that believeth not or one unlearned, look what happens. He is convinced of all. He is judged of all. When the pastor's in the pulpit preaching and the people are in the pew saying amen, it is a coordinated Effort at convicting sinners, right. because we don't have a whole. We don't have a whole lot of prophets to get up, and so if we had all the prophets get up, there would be no prophet to get up. So all we we preach the word of God. Verse twenty-five, because verse twenty-four does not end, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down in his face, he will worship God and report. That God is in you of a truth. This is for conversion. We want conversions to take place here. But we also want to be converted every time we come in here. And we want to be revived every time we come in here. And notice it is Paul telling them by altering the content of assemblies. They can have a different effect. We want to alter the content of our assemblies from what is going on in most churches. For the effect of of New Testament, Bible, Holy Ghost, Lord Jesus Christ conversion. Verse 26, so he asks the question, How is it then, brethren, since these things that I'm telling you are the truth, why in the world, when ye come together, every one of you had to get up and say something? Now what if that church had 500 members? That is an insane asylum. They're going to say you're barbarians. And the effect will not be achieved. We should pray that each opportunity to assemble will be blessed for soul revival. Our own, those sitting around us, and sinners that God sends us. Revivals taught in both Testaments. Look at Psalm 85 and verse 6, which Orville read to us a few minutes ago. Psalm 85 and verse 6. Wilt thou not revive us again? And here's the reason why we pray for revival. That thy people may rejoice in thee. Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? We want to be a rejoicing church made up of rejoicing souls and happy families because God's revived us. And so we want to ask Him, will you revive us this Sunday, Lord? So that we can rejoice in your mercy. And in you. Help me keep my family. Bring the power of the Holy Ghost. To fill them with the joy of the Christian faith. And of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we can have a happy family. Revive us. It's been a whole week Lord. I'm like a bullock Lord. I hope that you got Jeremiah 31. I'm like a bullock Lord. That's unaccustomed to the yoke. I'm a wild man, Lord. The Lord loves that prayer. His bowels are troubled for that man. He will refresh. He will deliver. The man that will admit what you are by nature. And that you have not lived passionately and fervently for the Lord all week. So we pray for it. This, it's taught in the Bible. We could turn to other places. You know the book of Haggai. I've preached it a number of times in my life. Haggai chapter 1 verse 5. Chapter one, verse seven. Chapter two, two cases. Consider your ways. When we come in here, we don't want people to be able to leave that we're not presented plainly with. Consider your ways by opening up the Word of God and putting that mirror up where we can all look in the mirror of God's Word and see the blemishes in our lives because we want to revive. Our souls toward Him. Now, Adam read us a great verse, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14. Ephesians 5 and verse 14. And you know, I speak to you and I speak about myself as if we do go to sleep at times and if we are nearly dead at times. But do you know what? The Apostle Paul said that. David had so many psalms written about him being discouraged. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? He's talking to himself. Why art thou cast down? I shall yet. He knew he was going to get back to the house of the Lord, and he would again be in a happy company of people on Holy Day, the Lord's Day, going to church. Psalm 42, Psalm 43, and other places in the book of Psalms. Ephesians. You know, this is the church of Revelation 2 that lost their first love. This is Paul's church. We go to chapter 1 because we know that they were elect of God. We go to chapter 2 because we know they were born again. They were no longer in trespasses and sins blank. They were no longer dead in trespasses and sins. All we have to do is work our way over to chapter 5, verse 14. Wherefore he saith... Paul quotes out of Isaiah 60 generally, Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. We want to come in here and admit that we're sleepy to the Lord. Admit that we feel dead. Oh, we do everything in our power to prepare. We do everything in our power to participate. We do everything in our power to pray. Then we come in here and we expect a blessing. We expect a blessing that Christ will give us light. We awake from our sleep. We arise from the dead. We get up on time. We prepare on Saturday nights. We come in here eager, expectant, praying, Lord, speak to me. I'm a mess by nature. Help me. This is the church of Ephesus. Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead. And Christ shall give thee light. We never intend by the word revival that emotional, superficial, sensual, driven excitement of the flesh. Your foot tapping to a lively campfire song that we might be singing in here is not even second cousin to revival. It's just that we need to learn how to sing that song like our German Baptist brethren, three times as slow. Our German Baptist brethren are very, a very conservative group of Baptists, and they sing their songs, to, they slow their songs down to where you can't tap your foot. That is their method of how to pick the speed of a song. I have sent one of those songs to you on a couple of occasions and I enjoy listening to it at that speed because I can think about the words, my body does not get involved. Now, when we sing victory in Jesus in here, I'll bet three-quarters of you are tapping your foot. There's nothing wrong with tapping. I haven't found it yet. haven't looked very hard either because mine's tapping right along with yours, but that isn't revival. You know, as soon as we admit that maybe a little bit of that is good for revival... Guess what we're going to have up here in this platform next Sunday? Enough enough amplified power to rock your spleen. We will change your heartbeat. But that isn't revival. A syncopated beat and sufficient amplification will make anyone think they're in a revival. Especially with crowd psychology of a couple thousand people around you all standing on their feet with their hands in the air and all of you jacked up on Starbucks coffee that was supplied by the church in the lobby. Smoke and strobes. You'll feel like you're having a... Re- you know, if I was to give in to it, the Who can put me in a revival in about 10 seconds. That's the name of a rock group from England, for those of you that are wondering why I'm speaking in circles about Who. We can have Revival. We can have Holy Spirit revival. We want Holy Spirit revival. Coming in here, seeing the holiness of God, measuring ourselves against our past relationship with Him, knowing that we fall short, being convicted of our sins, being convicted of worldliness, being convicted of a lackadaisical approach to the Lord. We want to be convicted of all those things. We want to be reminded of all that He's done for us, all that He is doing and will do for us, all that He has in store for us, coming judgment. We want to see the the great reversal in fortune. We want to hear the duties that He's given us that we have forgotten and let slip in our lives. We want to be encouraged that He's gracious and He will refresh us and His bowels are troubled for us. All those different things come into recommitting. You know, we don't have an altar call. You know, in Armenian churches, there are people that go forward practically once a month because they're rededicating their lives to Christ. Well, we don't have that altar call, but we ought to be rededicating our lives every day. Right. And because no one else helps us between Sunday and Sunday, we come here. And because Sunday and Sunday are so far apart, we come on Wednesday night. How can we help? In just a few minutes, we start with praying for it. We start with praying for revival because without Him we can do nothing. John 15 and verse 5, Without me ye can do nothing. We need His power for revival. He can give us a new heart. He can give us a heart of flesh and take away a heart of stone. He can make us softer toward His Word. He can prick us. We want Him to prick us. We don't want Him to cut us to the heart. We want to be pricked. We're born again. We have a heart like that. But the Lord can move it, incline it, direct it. And we want Him to do that for us. We want Him to give us repentance to the acknowledging of the truth that we might be delivered from the snare of the devil. Look at Psalm 119 with me where David prayed for revival repeatedly under the word quicken. You know, when we use the word revive, it meant to come back from the dead. What does the word quicken mean? To be given life and to come back from death. Look at Psalm 119. We want to start by praying for it. Verse 25. My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Do you ever feel that dry? Do you ever feel like you're just about dead? That's a soul cleaving to the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. All the promises and the glory and the successful lives that are lived in your word, quicken me, make me alive, revive me. Like your word describes. This is David praying in Psalm 119. Look at verse 37. Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity. Don't let me get enticed by this world, and quicken thou me in thy way. I don't want this Lord's way. I want your way. This is how we need to pray for our assemblies. Every assembly. Not some scheduled revival, but every time we meet. And every time we meet with the Lord, even in private, that these things are accomplished in us. Verse 40, behold, I have longed after thy precepts. Quicken me in thy righteousness. But you better have longed for his precepts. Verse 88, quicken me after thy loving kindness. So shall I keep the testimony of thy mouth. Oh Lord, if you'll revive me in loving kindness, because that's what it's going to take, I will use that revival to keep your words from your mouth. And we could keep reading. It goes all the way, you know, let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, about nine in Psalm 119. Three other Psalms. Jeremiah 31 that I read to you. It is something to pray for. Remember in Jeremiah 31, it was Ephraim saying, I was chastised justly because I'm like a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. It's admitting our waywardness, wildness, and he comes to our rescue. But while we're saying, Lord, I'm pretty wild, but I want to be turned. Turn me. Turn me. My prayer at the end of the first assembly was for our sovereign God to take charge of us. He already has. But in a way of practical redirecting us, to direct us away from the world, as David and others prayed. That He would take liberties with us and exert all of His mighty power on us to direct us more toward Him and to revive our passions toward Him because, if the truth be told, we need it. We need it. Look at verse 36 about telling God to work over our hearts. Psalm 119, verse 36, Incline my heart unto thy testimonies, and not to covetousness. That is asking the Lord for some heart surgery. That's asking the Lord for heart manipulation. Direct my affections toward these things in this 36th verse, your word, thy testimonies, and direct my heart and its affections away from the things this world has to offer that we covet after. Beautiful. Beautiful. Let's pray for that. What if our whole church, before we even get here for services, is praying for revival? It is not the volume level of the preacher. It's not the speed of the preaching. It's not the number of pages of outline. It's the Holy Spirit of God taking whatever is said, read, or sung, or prayed, and blessing it to us. And powerfully reviving us again. We want our church to be like that. We don't want to just shuffle in here like a bunch of buddies on Sunday and get a little uh, Bible lesson and then just go home. We want to come in here and be revived to live another three days until Wednesday night. And to live it with power. Each member should pray in advance for each assembly, for the others sitting around them, and for yourself that you'll be revived. Right. Church preparatory prayers by the men in the back as we do every Sunday morning, or public prayers in front of the whole assembly should include prayers for revival. Each member should prepare for Sunday to have good ground ready for the Spirit of God and His Word. Attendance needs to be punctual and participation passionate, publicly and privately, because it's contagious. Remember, zeal is contagious, enthusiasm is contagious. We do not wait for passion from God. We are not fatalists. It is a choice to do the first works and to do them fervently. It's a choice. Church services should often be uncomfortable as they convict and condemn sin. The amount of discomfort you ever have here listening to me, and I know it's a lot, but I'm talking about content, not delivery. The discomfort we have here but the content of being reminded of our sins and a day of reckoning coming with the Lord Jesus Christ is nothing in comparison to being before Him. Right. And so we keep doing it because I want all of you ready to meet Him. And I want to be ready with you to meet Him. There needs to be pressing, which is instant preaching in all seasons. Look at 1 Corinthians 14. I'm almost done. 1 Corinthians 14. That's to entice you to turn with me. 1 Corinthians 14. It was assumed that in assemblies of God's children, there was a response from the audience. Now for you poor Presbyterians, (coughs) I won't even finish that sentence. 1 Corinthians 14.16. Verse 15 has said we need to pray for the, with the understanding and we need to sing with the understanding. Knowing what we are saying, praying, and singing is important. Else, verse 16, or we're going to have this problem. Else, when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, but you're not doing it with the understanding, you're saying something in another tongue. How shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned, the babe, or the person that doesn't know that language, say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest. Both testaments, the people said amen. And the apostle would argue from it. It was such a strong habit among the people of God that Paul could argue from it. If you have services in another language, how will someone that doesn't know that language or a babe in Christ even know when they're supposed to say Amen. Because it is contagious in an assembly where there's a lot of men and women saying amen to when a blessing is made or a statement is made. Because the apostle would tell us, go back and look at the law. It was very strict on how men and women were governed in assemblies, but there were services where the priest would read a statement of condemnation. Cursed be every woman. That approacheth unto a beast to lie down there too. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. That's how they had church services. When Ezra got up on the pulpit and opened the word of God and blessed the Lord, all the people said, Amen. Right. That is contagious in a room. To the degree that the Lord allows us and to the degree the Bible teaches us, that little bit of governed Crowd psychology is effective, that little tiny bit, so that you, all of a sudden you've been just floating around with Hollywood and watching TV and reading Sports Illustrated and shooting hoops. And you come into the house of God, and we sing, and everyone is singing with all their might, and the word of God is preached, and the whole congregation erupts, at some point in prayer, blessing, thanksgiving, or preaching with amen. And all of a sudden, that person feels like a dog who let the dog in. Right. Hopefully, he'll respond like we read later in this chapter. He'll fall down on his face inside, not then. It'd be wonderful if people fell down their faces in this aisle. Once in a while, and the secrets of their hearts are made manifest. God is in these people, and I have have not lived a Christian life this week. I am a foolish dog. We must come with a humble and contrite spirit for his great blessing, because those are the ones that God draws nigh to and revives. Isaiah 57, verse 15. Self-examination, confession, and repentance are necessary and should be regular in your life. We need to be honest and severe before God, comparing our love and zeal at the present time to what it has been at the best time in our relationship with the Lord. We get God back by drawing nigh to Him in sober, sorrowful repentance. What's greater, knowledge or conviction? Conviction Conviction is greater. Who cares if you know it if you're not doing it? Conviction makes you do it. We want to be convicted when we come in here. We don't just want to learn or increase in knowledge. We want to be convicted about the knowledge we already have. The Lord will reveal more to us when we're doing better the things He's already revealed to us. Crave conviction. Be discontent with knowledge. We can't let our services become too predictable, ritualistic, or perfunctory. We've got to make them as personal and as passionate as we can. These are things that we do to make our church a place for revival exalt friends friends in the church because the Bible says two are better than one when one falls and he's alone he has no one to help him up but we should help each other up when we get spiritually discouraged we should remember all of our one another duties to exhort one another to comfort one another to love one another praise is good you know I don't have to turn you to any verses do I? in the book of Psalms praise is comely for the upright and praise is good and when we praise the Lord, it is the highest pleasure. If you're right with the Lord, it's the highest pleasure you're ever going to have in life. Right. But there's another benefit. When you're praising the Lord, according to Psalm 34 verses one through three, the hearts of others are made glad right. and they are lifted up. So it is win-win when we praise the Lord. Everyone in here should sing passionately and come prepared to do so and get into these songs. And it's not just singing parts, it's the words. Throwing out those wonderful, beautiful words that the Lord has shown us. Eric, when you picked Twas with an everlasting love last Sunday before the Lord's Supper." Oh, that was perfect. I don't think we have that on our website. It should be on our website, on YouTube, Joel. It should tweet that thing. Get it out there. That those The words in that song are different from any other song. There's some other good ones, but I'm just off on that one right now. It was perfect timing. But when the whole congregation sings, when I was with you on a Wednesday night ten days ago and we considered Jesus Christ our King and we sang six extra songs about Him, I do sit in the front. I do get the benefit of all the sound rolling forward. It was good. We want it to be like that. You know, I have learned that those songs, that parts of them are like a round, which I do not like, because I think that tends towards singing in tongues, because no one can understand what is being said. But there is, it can tend toward that. No stones, please. A song that is sung like a round means that different people are saying different words at the same time, and so there's a measure of confusion to the untrained ear that is not watching the words closely. But, when we and we sang a couple of those by your pastor's choice on Wednesday night, ten days ago, that allowed the tenors and bass, male voices, to sing alone for a few seconds, a couple times each verse. I have had visitors to our assembly tell me that a song like that blows their minds because they hear so many male voices coming through. Because in the average church, there's only three noises when it comes to music. The piano, the organ, and the ladies. But when the rest of us quiet for just a couple of seconds and the male voices come rolling through, men especially, and women, are blessed to know that they're in a church where the men love the Lord and are willing to sing without musical accompaniment and without the ladies hiding them. If you go into the average church and the average deacon, average Baptist church and the average deacon, you know, he looks looks great. He looks like he could work at a funeral home. They always dress good in a funeral home. (coughs) They come in there and the two instruments are making all the noise. But when you come in here, brethren, it is reviving. It is God's method. He wants us to sing in the spirit. He wants us to teach and admonish one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Let's let it rip. And even your pastor picks some songs that tended toward rounds because I like hearing the men, my brethren there was a time in my life where I thought I was going to be left desolate to follow the Lord according to his Bible, and he hasn't left me desolate. And when I hear you men coming through, yes, especially you, Chris, don't you ever back off. Mark, don't you back off. Uh, We love to hear those bass voices, don't we? I have had visitors to this church sit with me at lunch after we've left this room just shaking their heads. I've never heard anything like that. That is wonderful. The men, the men singing. Thank you for letting me be a member of this church. I love it. Music is powerful. And we don't mean amplified music. We're thinking of King Saul. Music could deliver him from an evil spirit. We don't know all that's involved in that. But we do know that music is powerful. It has been called the language of the soul. And when you look at a rock concert, the idiotic and crazy things that performers and hearers will do, and when you think about the times that you've been lifted up by being in here and hearing a song sung well, music is powerful. It's part. Listen, I'm not going to say one word to you that isn't found in the New Testament Scriptures. But we are supposed to sing. Right after it said, Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead. It says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is success, but be filled with the Spirit. Singing. Singing. It lifts us up. It's a revival. Our song service is important. Unconfessed sin is the greatest enemy of revival. There needs to be public confession always for our sins. The Lord will have mercy upon us. Worldly inputs need to be taken away. You cannot serve God and mammon. We want to love only the Lord. Revival requires God's words, so they need to be emphasized. Look at Psalm 119 and verse 54. Psalm 119 and verse 54. Thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. Thy statutes have lifted David up in the house of his pilgrimage. We are strangers and pilgrims in this world. We are sojourning. But a song can lift you up. And, but notice the song here. It's not singing. It's God's words have been like a song. Thy statutes have been my songs. I sing of Scripture. I sing about your word in the house of my pilgrimage. We want God's words because man shall not live by bread alone. Live. Live. That means revival. To live. The more abundant life. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Serving others for Jesus Christ will revive you by pulling you out of yourself and your downward selfishness. Why do you care so much about yourself? Forget about yourself. Care about others. It'll, it'll revive you. We need to be remembered, we need to be reminded in order to remember that in 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen, Paul said, let us make sure that we don't come together for the worse, but for the better. Right. And we pray that sometimes. Jesus Christ should be the central feature. Every time we come in here, you should want to open your heart's door and have Jesus Christ come in for more fellowship than you've had on Saturday, Friday, and Thursday. And that's what we mean by a place for revival. Let us pray, labor, and conspire together for the content of our services. Our, we're, we're conspiring for each other's benefit we're conspiring, that we're going to pray in advance, prepare in advance, participate with all our might, and that we're going to adjust the content according to God's word the best that we can to revive every one of us every time we assemble. And whoever else happens in among us and gets revived along with us, all glory to God. Amen.